0: Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host Kevin DeVries and if you'd like to reach us at the podcast you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPL Roundtable at gmail.com.
1: Hi I'm Jim, I'm the Leicester City representative for the EPL Roundtable. Um, You can find me at JimNight88 on Twitter.
2: Hi, I'm Jay. I'm editor of the a Palace fan site by fans for fans. We're on all social media networks, but we're mostly active on Twitter, you can catch us at the Eagles Hi, I'm
3: Rasmus, uh representing the Champions of England. You can catch me on Twitter at Chelsea Rumours, uh where I keep you I'll try to keep you updated on everything Chelsea related.
0: Cheeky Rasmus. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us guys. Uh, first we have Making the Rounds where we each have a few minutes to discuss what's been happening at our clubs this week. All right Jim obviously you're having a pretty solid run of form here at the end of the season doing a wig in, if
1: you will. What do you make of your chances? Um, I'm hoping that we're almost there now. Mathematically it's not um, settled just yet but I'm hoping that the run of form that we're on and the the kind of favourable fixtures that we've got left in terms of um, having teams that are either blowers now in the league um, so we can kind of pull ourselves even further clear or a team like Southampton who we've got on uh, on Saturday who don't really have anything left to play for and kind of phoned in a performance against Sunderland last week. Uh, this week's been pretty good again. <clears throat> we got a decent victory against Newcastle. It could have been by a much wider margin. To be honest, we seem to take our foot off the gas a little bit at 3-0. Um, we scored within 35 seconds, which is really unusual for us, from a corner as well, which is like the Holy Grail for Leicester. Um, an early goal from a set piece, which shows kind of just how slack Newcastle were on the day. They actually looked like they just couldn't be bothered and they just wanted to get back on the bus and go back to up the, up, up north. So, um it was, yeah, it was a fairly convincing performance, to be honest. They had a few decent chances at 2-0, but once they'd missed those, um, it, we always felt like we were we were kind of destined to get a few more goals. We scored again within 25 minutes, uh, sorry, within 15 minutes. Wes Morgan with his second of the uh, of the season. Captain Wes Morgan, who I've been slagging off on this podcast for weeks and weeks and weeks, <laughs> pops up and scores a goal, um, which could be potentially vital to keeping us up.
0: Curse of the commentator
1: and all that. Yeah, exactly. He's still crap. I don't care what anyone thinks. <laughs> Tapping <laughs> from five yards, he's still rubbish. Um, we then got a penalty just after half time, which was kind of really good because it settled the nerves a little bit. Um, if there were any at, at half time, um, and really killed Newcastle's spirit dead. They then, um, proceeded to play basically rugby with Jamie Vardy, seeing two of their men sent off, um, and prompting some quite bizarre comments from John Carver which I'm sure we'll come on to later but yeah just one of the most bizarre experiences I've kind of had at the King Power in a long time watching a team in complete meltdown which wasn't Leicester City which is always nice um so yeah pretty pretty good week we're looking forward to Saturday um I think Southampton for much of the season would have been kind of feared as a team that coming to the King Power and a difficult team where we would have maybe taken a point but I think with the 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 combination of them not exactly having anything left to play for and kind of running on a little bit empty and looking forward to the summer and us being on a really good run of form and high in confidence that we could actually take another three points and basically secure our place in the Premier League next year, which is absolutely ridiculous to think with two games left considering where we were, you know, six games ago. Um, but yeah, hopefully another three points on Saturday and um, I can carry on coming on next season.
0: All right, Jay, what's the news out of Palace?
2: Yeah, well, we had an ominous trip on Sunday to uh, the Champions-elect at Stamford Bridge. I I, I went to this one, actually, and uh, enjoyed being with the Palace faithful again. And, uh, you know, we were loud as ever. And I think the biggest thing that surprised me the most is a lot of Chelsea fans have seen me talking about it is the lack of... The lack of excitement by the home fans, I have to say, for pretty much 80 minutes of, of, of the game. I don't know if that's a general consensus. I spoke to a couple of Chelsea fans and they were saying that there are a few problems with, you know, the the, the way that fans are. And obviously, Jose Mourinho um, alluded to it a little bit during the game. He pointed at the Palace fans who were quite noisy. It, it, it's what we do. We support the club. And, uh, you know, just felt like, you know, the fans were expecting, you know, expecting Chelsea to win the title. And, and, and that was it. But, um you know, we didn't make it easy for them. Um, we expected a reaction after our two home defeats against Hull and West Brom, and we certainly got that. I think we were good value for uh, being level almost until half-time. I mean, um the Hazard penalty it was a soft one, I have to say. I mean, I think if it happened up the other end, I think Palace fans would be claiming for it. But when you see the replay, it, it, it is a soft one. Um, and I've I got a thing about player, talented players going down relatively easy. I mean, Eden Hazard's a great player, no doubt in that whatsoever. You know, player of the season, awards, and all that. But he doesn't need to do, yeah, you he know, doesn't need to do things like that. I know there was, um, I think there was a bit of a connection with MacArthur's um, hit, maybe at the Centimo, but if you watch the replay, he kind of fell with the opposite direction, but regardless, I mean, Speroni stood up well to the penalty. He almost looked like he'd gone past the ball. I don't because Eden Hazard has this thing where he, he tends to watch the keeper rather than watching the ball that he's about to kick. And I don't think he hit the ball true, um, and Speroni almost went went past it, but he saved it and it went straight back to Hazard. And, um, again Hazard looked a, sort of misheaded in a way he looked one way and headed the other Were he we meant to do that I'm not sure but he looked quite relieved that he put it in but I think it was a bit of a kick in the teeth for Palace because we had you know we had a bit of the play I know Chelsea had a possession but you expect that going to Stamford Bridge um, and we we had chances I mean in that first half Jason Punch had a great chance which um, looked like it hit the hand of John Terry he, he made a Dive in well, I say save, it wasn't so much a save, but it was a, a last ditch challenge to block the ball when it appeared to hit his hand. Um so we can count ourselves unlucky that we didn't get anything from from that point. But I have to say Will Sahar was outstanding on uh, you know in the game. He he made Ivanovic look quite ordinary, uh, particularly in the first half. Um we started a lineup which we didn't Will we didn't start with a recognised striker, which was interesting. Uh, we played Balassi uh, uh, more central than he's normally used to. Uh, which kind of nullified a little bit from from a Chelsea's perspective in the first half um but I think Mourinho paid the ultimate um compliment to us by bringing McKellon um at half time in, in you know in taking uh, Quadra um yeah Quadrado off so uh, that was something that kind of you know Chelsea wanted to get the three points to win the uh, win the title at home and I think our oh, Chelsea had a few chances, but I don't think they really troubled us too much. I mean, there was a few saves he had to make, but he he kind of made them look harder than they actually were. And to be fair, I was impressed with our performance. Really, it was a good reaction to the to the two home defeats. And I, I feel a bit hard done by not going away with any any points. To be quite honest, I mean, I think we performed quite admirably. Uh, we changed things up later in the second half, walked Glen Murray on um, to try and get something out of the game. And I think we I think we ended the game with a succession of three or four corners. Uh, uh, against Chelsea, which um, I think Jason Punching hit the post late on, just clicked the post with a shot from just outside the area. So we certainly had our chances. Um, but Zaha, for me, was um, was our our player in the match. And um, interesting enough, we we dropped uh, Jednak to the bench, who who didn't get a look in. We played Lillian and MacArthur in the middle, which which for me is our chosen midfield. Actually, I think the thing that lets Jednak down is that uh, he's a great ball winner, but passing he he's not a passer of the ball and you know, a lot of us Palace fans seem to question how he's going to fit into a Parju side, because is a lot more of a you know, attack-minded manager than Tony Pulis ever was, and while Jednat was the ideal player to have in a team uh, that's managed by Tony Pulis, it's not quite the play you want in a team which is managed by Alan Pardue and Ledley and MacArthur have proved that, both when Jednat was uh, away on international duty at the start of the year, and also when he had a, a four-match ban. Um, that they, they both done uh, very well without him, and um, they can obviously both play you know, play the ball quite well. So, um, as for players for us, you know, Spraining Mates got some good saves to keep us in the game. Joel Ward had a great game at uh start off at left-back, ended up going right-back. Um, Scott down at the back with Delaney, um, brilliant um, as ever, those two. Um, it's just a shame we didn't get anything out of the game. So, we go into the United game this weekend off the back of three defeats. Um, but I think there's a lot more positives to take out of that game than there are negatives. More interestingly enough, I, I noticed that, in recent weeks, Palace haven't featured any of the uh, relegation betting, but we've appeared on there today as 80-1 to one outsiders to go down. Um, it's an odd one because I think we just need one more point to make us mathematically safe. But the issue is that a lot of the teams below us play each other between now and the end of the season. So I think that kind of cancel cancels that out or any chance of us going down. But, you know, funnier things have happened, I guess. A lot's got to conspire against us to, uh, uh, to, to see that uh, take place. But... Um, but I, I'm pretty happy I, I I can't see that happening so um I'm hoping that we uh, we yeah, sign off the season in a, in a bit of style and get a win win or two out of the last three games
0: all right thanks um rasmus i i uh i moved recently i haven't had internet recently but i i heard something about you winning a title or something
3: um i'm not sure i've heard of that
0: yeah so I, like like a uh, premier league oh right
3: yeah that, that was that yeah yeah um yeah we, we we became champions on on sunday which is nice um haven't been it for, for five years now um i know that this is that this is going to sound a bit strange to Yuri, ears kevin but for us that's quite a long time mm. um <laughs> crazy what, and uh, that, what, yeah what have we been doing that... yeah i don't I, I don't know i i don't think i was born uh <laughs> last time you won the title um, but yeah, ever since, I mean, obviously, a, a great achievement, and uh, I, I will agree with uh, with Jay uh, about the atmosphere at Stamford Bridge on on Sunday. I wasn't there, but even even just uh, through watching on TV, I could tell that it was it was strange how subdued it was, It was mm-hmm. as if people weren't aware that we were, you know, ninety minutes away from the title. Mm. It was about ten minutes of of noise or something, and then it was pretty much quiet until the last few minutes. It was it was almost like watching uh, watching Liverpool play at Anfield.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> all right yeah shots uh, fired we've been we've been shooting at Liverpool. Liverpool fans lately <laughs> <laughs> uh no uh, okay uh, I know I'm gonna get some stick for that one uh but uh cares? Okay, champions and um <laughs> yeah since then we've uh we've basically been uh our, our transfer season more or as has started we've been linked with uh every man and his dog Pretty much from uh, from Christian Benteke, which is perhaps one of the, um, slightly more reasonable links to uh, to Ricky Lambert, which is perhaps uh, not that uh, not that great a story in in my ears. Uh, uh, how close are you
0: to, to the English player issues that, that City have to face? Pretty much year in year out.
3: Yeah, there's there's that as well. We're uh, I mean, we've we've got we've got a. a I think basically the, the idea is to bring through some youngsters such as uh Ruben Loftus cheek. Um, he's gonna he's gonna have a, a bigger role to play next season and, and you know he's gonna we're gonna rely more on him and, and that way be be more okay with uh, with the English uh, quota. Obviously he's he's an under twenty one player, so we won't even have to register. But um there's also the link with uh with Paul Pogba who obviously would be a great signing for us uh, as he's also a homegrown player he was at United for uh, I, I don't know how long but sufficiently long to become homegrown mm. and uh, I we're not I mean we I think we only used three English players this season actually if, uh, if I've counted correctly which was uh, Terry Cahill and um, and Ruben Loftus-Cheek for one minute <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's we've got a few homegrown players, obviously. We've got Fabregas, um, he's homegrown. <sighs> to be honest with you, I can't really remember off the top of my head who is and who isn't. But uh, I, it's not something we've talked about, Rose. I'm kind of figuring that we're doing all right. <laughs> Basically, I haven't really thought about it. You've kind of put me on the spot there. <laughs> Sorry.
2: Um, Rasmus, can I ask, is, do you think Mourinho will actually blood any of these young players coming through? Because you've got an exciting youth set up there, obviously, at Chelsea. Do. Yeah. But it does. It does beg the question as to whether a team like Chelsea would rather spend money on a player um, than, you know, blood in a youngster in in a team. I mean, is it a great example is um, is it Brayford that's uh, uh, that's on loan at uh, Middlesbrough at the moment. I mean, is is he a player that Chelsea would look to um, hold on to next season and perhaps give him a bit of first team experience at Chelsea or or any other youngsters that you have there, or do you think it would just be a case of spending more money?
3: Sorry, uh, do you mean uh, Bamford?
2: Bamford, sorry, yes, Bamford.
3: Uh, yeah, um, I was just making sure. Yeah, there's there's him, and and Mourinho is definitely a huge fan of him. He's he's, mm. he's spoken really well about him and and his attitude, and and there have been stories about him basically not so much this season, but last season, like congratulating him on pretty much every goal he scored. Uh, I think Bamford is an interesting case, particularly because he's basically the, like the polar opposite of. Uh, of Romelu Lukaku, what he was in terms of attitude, and obviously Mourinho wasn't too keen on on him. Um, but I think I think Bamford is one of those who could have a chance at, at making it at Chelsea. Probably not next season, if I'm honest with you, especially because he's a striker. And I think I have I have this idea that Mourinho is more likely to trust somebody in midfield rather than up front. Um, you've seen that he's he's even had a hard time, like just. Giving Loic Remy a proper chance, uh, he'd yeah. rather play Drogba because he he relies on him. You know, he, he trusts him, which in my opinion he doesn't have more reason to do than than Remy, who's who's quite frankly been really 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 good every time he's featured for us. But um, it's it's really it's an interesting matter, and it's it's a very very pressing matter because they keep winning trophies, the youngsters, and and yeah. they're really good. Uh, they're too good to not be given a chance. And Mourinho said it himself: if he doesn't. If he doesn't bring a few players through, if they don't... Actually, what he said was, if they're not England internationals within five years or something like that, then it will be his failure.
0: All right. Um, For Tottenham, obviously no midweek matches. The Sunday pod was uh, recorded on Thursday and was about the Women's World Cup. So I'll talk a little bit about the loss to Manchester City, which was unfortunate more more meaningless possession we had we actually had several really good chances the first 20 minutes we bossed um Kane missed an opportunity that you would expect him to make uh very similar to the goal he scored against uh Palace Jay the one where he drifts a little bit to the right and then slots it into the far bottom corner um like just off the grass um probably should have tucked it away Joe Hart knew nothing about it really but missed it didn't end up doing much at all after that um We are now officially out of the top four chase, which, you know, thinking back, I've said all season, top eight in a cup run, we've already done that. You know, we made it to the final where we lost to someone, I don't don't really remember who. Um, But uh, we, we, we achieved that. So I'm not disappointed that we didn't make top four. I am disappointed that when we were still in with a shout that Pochettino didn't pull out all the stops to do it. Um, but that's a very short-term way of thinking, and I do recognize that because the the players that he dropped that could have helped us get there are part of his overarching philosophy of you know people fighting for their spots. And if those people weren't fighting for their spots in training, they shouldn't be playing at the weekend. But you know, Musa Dembele is a better player than Ryan Mason. That's 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 not debatable. But then you have to decide whether it's it's a good thing that we might have missed top four for this ideological premise that we're that we're expected to sustain and so if he if he does actually save the five years of his contract then I think it's a really good thing um because it kind of sets the tone going forward but you know if we miss Champions League next year I think that might be forgiven but the year after that you know I I think he's on three years to to make Champions League and if we don't make it in that time I think we'll look back and and kind of rue that opportunity um but as is I'm, I'm happy with how the season went I am just a little bit uh less excited going forward by uh, his his kind of inflexibility, which is something that was kind of touted at Southampton before he came, so it's something to keep an eye on. Surprise! I'm going to talk about a Bentaleb contract. Uh, we have more information now. Apparently, it's vaguely Sterling-esque, where it's kind of been drawn out. So his value at the start of negotiations was finally agreed to by the club, but then he's continued to perform well, and now his agents are asking for more money, uh, difference being 25000 and 40000 a week. Um, Hard to argue against the 40000 really, as a fan, but it's not my money. Um, but apparently that's why it's stalling. He still does want to sign it. We still want him to sign, but it's just working out the, the numbers, although that is, that is a pretty uh, broad gap to, to close. Um, I've been harsh on Erickson the past few months because he's, he's really fallen off the pace, and, and I didn't know what was going on. I, I was starting to think that maybe he won't become a world-class player, but instead a very good player uh, going forward. And then saw an Optus that earlier this week uh, saying that Ericsson has covered the most ground in the Premier League this season with 395 kilometers run or 245 miles, which is good. I mean, it's kind of a testament to Potts' philosophy of of effort and and, and just kind of hustling everywhere and something good will inevitably happen. But a player like Ericsson, I don't think is most effective running everywhere. You know, that's that's the reason that we play Bentaleb every week, and I think it's re- it really shows a weakness both in depth at the attacking midfield position for us and ability behind him uh, with the constant rotation of Mason, Paulinho, and Dembele earlier in the season, um, because that's what they should be doing. Erickson, it's great that he is now willing to track back. He is a better player for it, but I don't think he's a more effective player because of it. Um, being able to kind of... Reserve some energy, burst forward, make those those sharp, darting runs and, and passes in the final third are much more difficult when you're in your third. Um, so it, it is an interesting stat, and, and I do think it kind of highlights uh, why he may have been, you know, quote unquote, struggling of late creatively, uh, especially for a player that you know isn't the most physical. I mean, there there are more players in the in the Premier League at that position and many other positions who you would consider more. Along like the athletic lines as opposed to like the creator kind of mold. Um, but we'll, we'll see how we deal with that going forward. I, I do think he'll now progress uh, better. And maybe now that he's learned this, now he'll know when to pick and choose. But um, I, I do think running him that much is not a very effective use of his talents. Um, a Harry Kane article came out this week. Uh, not really much surprising. It, you know, I, I, I hate to bash things, but it, it was a little fluffy. But... Uh, my favorite bit was that he admitted that after matches where they sing the Harry Kane, he's one of our own chance that he hums it as he's leaving the stadium, <laughs> which, which is a little self-serving. And I'm not sure how you hum while you're breathing through your mouth, but uh, is is impressive nonetheless. And it, it, it's fun to see players kind of responding to stuff like that. Um, it was a little harsh on Posh there at the beginning, uh, but on the positive side, and we're going to talk about more of this in the topic uh, on player identification and stuff. But uh Posh in a press conference that he has already identified the players he wants this summer and has passed that list on to the scouting department and board, which is nice. Uh it'll be nicer if we actually get those players in. Um but I, I think it's very proactive from him and and, and kind of shows our intent. Uh although already behind the ball with uh, um, the Depay thing. I'm not gonna go into it. If you want to know how I feel uh, either listen to any of our podcasts or on my Twitter because uh, today was a sad day for me. It, it wasn't very fun. But as, as I mentioned last week, I mean, there was a time when I thought Depay would come. If we had upped the money right after the World Cup, we would have been overpaying, but would have been worth bringing him into the club. But especially seeing what happened on the left wing for United, you had Ashley Young up there for a little bit, then he was at wing back and Daley Blind was at left back, and then they pushed him into defensive midfield, and now he's back up. But the, the point is, you're Memphis Depay. You're going to a team that's going to be in the Champions League with a manager that gave you your chance on the international stage, and they're telling you the day you're walking in, all you have to do is beat out Ashley Young and Adnan Yanezai. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> have fun. Uh, and so while I hate it, it's very easy to understand from a, like a personal perspective, so... Uh, I wish him all the best, except for when he plays Tottenham. Uh, And uh, while we're on the topic of talented wingers and Poch's press conference, he jokingly, and that's the very key word here, this is mostly a shout out to Tottenham fans, but everybody else, if you're interested, here you go, he jokingly said that we're keeping a seat warm for Bale if he wants to leave Madrid. Now, that's fine, but a lot of Tottenham fans came off and then were like, oh my god, we're getting Bale back. To which everyone was like, and rightfully so, uh, how would we pay his wages? And the people were like, oh, no, it's fine. He'd be willing to take a pay cut to come back home. Which, first of all, he's from Wales, not from Tottenham at all. Uh, And secondly, we'd have to get him to the club first. And unless Madrid just feel bad for giving Di Maria to United and Utzville to uh, Arsenal, we really couldn't match that at all. Unless we offered them Hugo and five of the other seven that they brought that that we brought in with the bail money. I'd like to keep Erickson and Chadley. Uh, the rest of them honestly could go, and I wouldn't really mind. But uh, yeah, that's not happening at all, guys. So let's let's calm that down. It was funny. If you watch the video, he's clearly joking, and people are just like, "Oh, he said it. We're getting bail back." And no, 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 we're not. we, we need to move on. It honestly kind of shows that we don't really think we're a top four club if we're still pining. You know, for somebody that left two years ago, like let's let's move forward. We have a new manager. Yep. We've we've shown we've shown growth. Let, let's come on.
3: It was it was like that time when he said you would finish in the top four, wasn't it? He's was, was quite funny.
0: <laughs> Seriously, we're making top four next year. Um, <laughs> Can't right. use Soldado as bait. What? <laughs> Seriously though. Ooh. Okay. No, we're, I don't have time to go into the Soldado defense
2: there. <laughs> not for us,
0: but play him with the second striker in Spain. Somebody in Spain spent $5 million on him. He's going to score 20 goals again, and then somebody's going to be dumb enough in two years to go full Josie Altidore and be like, he didn't work there before, maybe he'll work here now, and we'll play him as a lone striker out of position, and it will work terribly again. <laughs> but let's not go there. Where we are going to go is somehow to something more ridiculous, which is John Carver's press conference today. Because... And I, I'm quoting him here. This is John Carver, Newcastle manager. Eight on the trot? Is that right? That they've lost? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, okay. I still think I'm the best coach in the Premier League. If I have the right tools, I can do the job. I'm doing the job to the best of my ability. Now, to my eye, if that's the best of your ability, <laughs> well, you're, you're not probably the, <laughs> the worst coach of the Premier League. But feel free to correct me. Because we're going to go from his insanity to what I think is actually one of the the better questions we've had here. No offense to myself in the past. Um, But if you don't think it's John Carver, who do you think is the best coach in the Premier League? Because you can go Mourinho, and that might still be the right answer. I'm not saying it's not. But if you put Mourinho at a side like Palace, are they winning titles? Probably not. So who do you consider to be the best coach in the Premier League as far as tactics or man management, dealing with the press, transfers, all of that stuff. Who do you think is the best coach in the Premier League? Nigel Pearson? He's definitely the manager <laughs> that I thought was fired the longest when
1: he wasn't fired. He, he He's absolutely fuming at the fact that John Carver has stolen his worst manager with the press award. <laughs> he is making a late charge on the outside to be the biggest idiot in a press conference possible. <laughs> really. He's got to be fuming about that. It's not often you can call a journalist an ostrich and still not be the no. worst manager of a premier League weekend <laughs> um, Humbley, I, special I, season. <laughs> he's I, I the thing is I've been thinking about this all day and I actually can't i don't know maybe it's the fact that just Chelsea have won the title and stuff, but he Mourinho is so good, isn't it like he just he the thing is like people this week were like criticizing Chelsea's style of play a little bit, and I think you know. It's difficult because results and footballing ideology don't always sit hand in hand. In fact, they very rarely sit hand in hand because one tends to take away from the other sometimes. Um, But he is very, very... He's a winner. He's a natural-born winner. And like when you look at his record against um, the likes of Arsene Wenger, for example, where I think it's... Is it 12 games in a row now where Wenger's never beaten Mourinho? But that isn't coincidence, and and Arsenal. Don't get me wrong. That's nothing against Arsene Wenger. Arsene Wenger is one of the best, you know, tactical coaches, or, or one of the best coaches in the last kind of decade or so. But Mourinho is just on another level. He knows how to get the very best out of the players that he's got. Um, and I know Chelsea have a lot of money and they've spent a lot of money, but so have a lot of clubs, um, and they still don't have the the, the trophy cabinets over the last kind of five or six years that a lot of clubs have Um, so yeah I was just thinking I don't know there are we kind of broke it down it's made up a number of elements Um, as Kev you were saying kind of management isn't the be all and end all Mm. Um, because if it was tim sherwood might actually be in this conversation you know actually i was i was thinking about this so tim sherwood probably is one of the best man managers in the as i was saying last time i was on a couple of pods ago where we were talking about sherwood just being a six month kind of sticking plaster to pump the club's players up confidence wise mm. um but also pardew like i know jay's on the pod i'm not just saying this because he's on the um the pod but I think Pardew and his ability to get a performance out of his players against the bigger clubs there's something there in terms of his ability to motivate a team to outperform their perceived chance of winning a game if you mm. look at there I know it helps that Selhurst Park is you know a, a difficult place to go um, especially in the evening and stuff when it's you know it's loud and it's rocking and it's an intimidating atmosphere for a lot of clubs who don't normally experience that on their away days but um, he he's certainly able to get his players to perform better than the sum of their parts. And if you needed an example of that, have a look at Newcastle um, in the earlier part of the season and then compare them to now. Um, so, yeah, I think he, he'd he be part of that for me, but I just can't get away from the fact that Mourinho kind of has that whole package in terms of, he's so smart with the press. Like, everything he says is like a calculated statement he very rarely loses his call, cool, which is really something to be applauded in that sense, because you don't see him losing his call cool with journalists and kind of showing his his true colours and letting that mass slip, which is kind of a, an underrated um, element to his, his style, because a lot of people do that. And it kind of not only is it perceived weakness, but it also kind of must fill the, the hearts of clubs that are coming up against them with kind of dread that he never seems to lose his cool and that's the kind of calmness personified that's basically won Chelsea the the league this year they never panic they never kind of go out and do something stupid they just carry on doing exactly what they're doing grinding it out they know what they've got to be doing they stick to the game plan and they win games more often than not and that's the reason they're at the top of the league and you know they're gonna win it by 10 12 god knows how many points
2: I, I agree actually a lot of what Jim said there in that it's it, perhaps it's too easy to choose Mourinho in that you know in in this you know as best coach because he has won the title. But you know, Jim said a lot of good things there in that the way he does things and and the way he motivates his team. And I think a lot to be said. I mean, Chelsea have had their critics in the last few weeks in that you know suggesting they're boring. But I think for the first half of the season, Chelsea were really exciting. Um, and I think you know being at the top of the table by Christmas. Um, and coming into the new year, I think, you know, the, the, perhaps the attitude to, to the way they were playing, uh, Mourinho changed and, and thinking, right, we're top of the table, let, let's stay there. Um, and perhaps it wasn't so much about, you know, playing the, you know good football, it was more about getting the results to win the title. And, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And it's clear that's clearly what he's done um, to get them down, down the stretch and, and win the title with, what, three games to go. Um, so fair play to him, and, and Jim also mentioned, you know, his his knack of being able to deal with questions put to him by the press in the manner that, or in the style that only he knows how. It, it, it is, he makes it look easy, and and some other managers, I think, I think Pardew in a way is quite good at that as well. In that when he's in a a press conference, he answers questions um, quite calmly and well. In that you know, when you watch Mourinho do it, he he just. He almost knows the question that's coming up, really, sometimes, and he's ready for the ready to give the answer. And perhaps people like Carver and and Pearson could take a leaf out of his book and and watch how he does things. Because at the end of the day, you are representing a club, and I think sometimes the managers forget that and think it's um, you know it's it's a one you know it's a campaign to to rile them sometimes. And while some journalists may may ask some questions which, you know, perhaps are deemed a bit stupid. Do you have to react in the right way? Because you are representing a club and a Premier League and it's a global game and stuff like that. But going back on point, I think, you know, coaches-wise, I think another one that uh, I would mention is um, is Cooman at Southampton. You know, he, he took over a job there which, you know, we we even said on the podcast that there will be relegation fodder this season. A, a lot of us did. I, I was one of them that really expected Southampton to struggle made a few shrewd signings in you know some of the players he knew from Dutch football. Um and uh I, you know, I, I think he's done exceptionally well at Southampton. He's he's is he inherited a squad of players which, you know, was decimated by, you know, pretty much all their top players, star players from last season, leaving the club and going elsewhere. So I, I think he's right up there, um, you know, with with the likes of Mourinho. And and Jim rightly mentioned Pargie. I mean I've seen the effect he's had at Palace firsthand. I mean Um, You mentioned the home, you know, playing at home is is tough. I mean, but it's our away form actually this season that has really got us up to where we are. Our home form has been terrible, but we've beaten the likes of Liverpool at home, Tottenham at home, sorry Kev, and and Man City at home. And that Man City game is an ideal example of what Jim just said. To to beat a team such as City at home, you know, it wasn't so much, um, you know, we beat them off the park. It was, we did what we played to our strengths and we believed in ourselves that we could beat Man City, and I think Pardue should take a lot of credit for that. Um, but for me, Mourinho's up there. But I would also mention, um, you know, Koeman as well, because I think he's done an exceptional job at Southampton.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's um, it's difficult for me to point at anyone, but but Mourinho, <laughs> obviously, uh, isn't it funny though that we're we're thirteen points ahead in the league and he hasn't won Manager of the Month a single time this season. <laughs> I mean, I just find that weird.
0: Well, that was one I, of the arguments I, I made in my yeah. uh, Player of the Year article that I wrote. Is that no person yeah. had ever done it without winning uh, Player of the Month, and Hazard is, is in that category as well.
3: Yeah, um, I, you know that might be the real campaign against Chelsea this season. <laughs> <possible>. No, uh, <laughs> that I just find that strange. But um, apart um, from that, you know, he doesn't. He doesn't need to be Manager of the Month. He wants to win the Premier League and that that's what he's done. Mm. Um, so you know, good job to him and, and, and to the players and everything. I, I think for me he he is number one because he's such a complete manager. He understands everything about football. He he knows how to talk to his players, he knows how to talk to the press, he knows his tactics. Um he's only second to Tim Sherwood in that. And um <laughs> I mean he, he, he pretty much knows everything and he understands the uh the financial fair play and and the club's position and it really feels like he just he fits in really well right now with Chelsea and that Chelsea is is, is a club that's being that's being run very very smoothly and I think he's he's a large uh, he's he's a big reason for that as well he's a big part of it. Um, you mentioned Cumin, I was going to mention this.
2: Sorry. Sorry. Plus, he, lo- he loves Palace fans as well, so that goes in his favour.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Well, to be <laughs> fair, you know, you are quite an entertaining bunch. Uh, <laughs> of fans uh, and um i think you know he may have been stepping slightly over the line with with criticism of of chelsea fans because it's not yeah. entirely their fault and so it is true that that Stanford bridge is a is a stadium that's being filled by more and more tourists that are there to be entertained rather than support the team um mm-hmm. which is a bit of a shame uh, obviously I, i'm not i'm not natively English, and I'm not actually from the Chelsea area. But whenever I go there, I, I can assure you that I, 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 I walk away very, very hoarse <laughs> Is that is that how you pronounce it? Because I don't want to say on the podcast yeah. that I'm a horse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> right, you, you can cut that. There's your title. <laughs> Rasmus
3: <laughs> is a horse. Rasmus <laughs> is horse, and so can you. <laughs> <laughs> Rasmus is a horse. <laughs> Um, back into it. Um, another manager that I would, I would probably, uh, think to serve some recognition who hasn't really got it either this season is, uh, Gary Monk, uh, Swansea, yeah. they've, they've been really good. They've got 53 points and people would every season, people talk about them potentially going down and they're nowhere near that. I mean, they're eighth and you know, kuman he did a great job. But southampton they've only got four points more than Swansea, and they've got a significantly larger budget to sign players. Uh, obviously, they did sell a lot of the star players as well, and they've got a vastly superior goal difference. Um, but uh, I'm not denying that that Kuman might have done an even better job, but I think Gary Monk, he definitely deserves some praise as well.
0: Yeah, um, especially losing Boney, but still kind of keeping that same pace. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. And, and also just the way he actually had to jump right into that job um, and did it brilliantly you know went straight from being a player to to being a manager if I if i remember correctly and uh he's really got he's it's a, it looks like you know he's got the group together and and they might not be as entertaining as they used to be but um but they're getting the points and they're a solid side and it's difficult to go to swansea and and actually pick up three points even for a club like chelsea so uh you know fair play to them i think i think they've done. Done really well this season. Uh I think pretty much everything has been said about Pardew's impact at Crystal Palace. It'll be interesting to see how he how he gets on next season when he's got a full season. And uh, you know, he's gonna be involved in the transfers and everything. Uh he's done really, really well, and I'm I'm very impressed. Um and then there are the likes of 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 Wenger. <laughs> what what am I gonna say about him? I mean <laughs> He's obviously, he's, he's he's got a team that he, he gets them playing some brilliant football times, mm. but it seems like he's just not quite got that, you know, he's a specialist in failure. You know? <laughs> I'm so oh, sorry. But...
0: <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> no, but he's, it's, it's, that's maybe a bit harsh, you know, but, but I see where Mourinho is coming from when he says it. I'm really sorry, but I do because he's, he's, he's got like everything apart from that very, very last bit that you need to actually win the big trophies. Mm. Uh, and he used to have it, and I, I, I don't really know if if he's he's capable of you know, getting there uh, and and winning the Premier League again one day. I I I kind of doubt it. Especially you were talking about. I think it was uh, it was UJ talking about his record against, uh, yeah. Mourinho. Was yeah, yeah. And you know he's uh, that's 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 not normal. You know, for a top team like uh, Arsenal to be able to well to not be able to win in twelve matches against the same manager. To be, you know, basically Mourinho's, he's, he's got the other hand on him. And therefore, I would say that Mourinho was a better manager.
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't want to go to like a super negative place. Yeah, um Well, I mean, I do like as, as Kevin, <laughs> but as a host, I don't want to go to a super negative place. I'm... But I will say when, when it changed for me, and it was like a very singular moment, was he used to be kind of innovative and known, known for his tactical ability and was very good at man management. And it was the the second match we had in the season when um, Bale had just broken out, right? And going into the Arsenal match, and I think it was at the M, right? I could I could be wrong on that, but uh, he came out in a press conference and they asked him if he was going to do anything tactically to, to kind of deal with Gareth Bale, and he said that we play our style, we aren't worried about individual players, and then Bale had a goal and an assist. And that like really highlighted kind of a shift where it used to be kind of reactive and and like I said innovative. To at a certain point it became this is what I do. Yeah, and, stubborn, and, isn't it? Yeah, and then and then stopped being flexible, which was one of the the strength that he had early on. Um, it's really hard for me to say nice things about Arson Wenger, but uh, that that one moment I think really. I'm sure that it happened around that period, but for me, that was like a very singular moment that that kind of identified a shift in how he was approaching things. Was that we're not going to deal with a clear and present threat because it would affect how I'm setting up my team. But that's that's a very important part of being a manager. Um, anyway,
3: yeah, no, I gr- I agree with you. And and if you look back to uh, to, this, uh, to the season where Arsenal, there, you know, the Invincibles. Mm. They played some mm. they played some really, you know, what they now refer to as anti football when Chelsea <laughs> played.
0: One the Arsenal.
3: Yeah. Yeah, basically. And and they they won a lot of matches in a, in you know, in sort of a, a boring style, which is exactly <laughs> what they're criticizing Chelsea for now. And but you know, that's that's sometimes just what you have to do to win championships.
1: Yeah. I think the thing is though, like Jay picked up on this earlier. The 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 football that Chelsea played in the first half of the season was actually quite an entertaining brand of football. It's it just really that was, every- yeah. everyone that just the last three four months because that's what's most relevant. I have a question, and, and this is
0: very uh, ego based for me, but did the shift not happen around the five three? Yeah, I was about up to until get that back. point, you were exactly. playing very attacking football, and then it was like, oh
1: snap, we <laughs> we, is, we well. should tighten up at the back. What, yeah. what happened there as well was they, they established a lead, did they not, in the first few months of the season? And they kind of got reeled in around that point. Mm. To the, to, to yeah, the, the point where...
0: And us. Yeah, those we are still your two losses,
1: right? Where Man City were level... They were really close. Goal difference, goals scored, mm. everything. It was a dead heat. I think on the 1st of January, it was pretty much a dead heat between the two. And everyone was billing it as you know the title race that everyone wanted to see. And it, it was so close going into the second half of the season. And he he has basically made an adjustment, which has enabled Chelsea to, you know, win games by one or two goals, not blow many teams away, but get enough points to yeah win the title. Yeah, definitely. And and then
3: actually, one game that was really interesting was um was that at one point Chelsea were receiving a lot of criticism for not playing that well, for playing a bit boring, and and what he did was. Uh, he said, "All right, you know," and went to Swansea, and we blew them away five nil. Mm. And he showed, like, "Yeah, I can turn it on whenever I want," <laughs> 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 <Yeah>. <laughs> which was quite uh, was quite entertaining. And I, I admit, like the the football we've been playing lately, it's 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 not been, you know, if we were going purely by entertainment, it's it's not been the greatest. But in, in terms of results, you know, you really can't complain. Yeah.
1: But what everyone forgets is as well. So Chelsea have won a cup this year. Sorry, Kev. Um, the Premier League. <laughs> had, oh, is that who beat us? I forgot. <laughs> um, and had a decent run in Europe as well. I know they didn't get to the, the, the last four, but they've had a decent run in Europe. That takes a lot out of a squad, and you yes. you can see with certain teams that play a more expansive style of football that if you try and do that from the word go, Southampton, I suppose, maybe Tottenham as well, in in that sense that you can't like. Kev, you were talking earlier about the fact that Ericsson's run the most yards in, in the Premier League this year, or the most kilometres and miles. Mm. You can't play at 100% intensity for 38 games plus European and domestic competitions as yeah. well. Yeah, it, it, for us, we have no replacement. For them. You, yeah. So you can entertain. I think this is Arsenal's problem sometimes. So they're very expansive and they like to play, you know, really kind of close, tight possession football and, and control the game. But you, the thing is with Arsenal, you could splice together two halves of two different seasons and they probably win the league every year, but they're never consistent enough over a 38 game spell to lay down a proper challenge or they haven't been for quite a few years. Like they always have this surge normally towards the end of the year where they've let it go. To to knock the us out of
0: fourth every time.
1: Yeah. And it just, it, it demonstrates the point that I know they have injuries and stuff and that, you know, different factors affect it. I know that it isn't just the intensity that you play, but that plays a massive part in it and actually containing, you know, playing within yourself, winning games, one or two nil playing at 70% and then going away and doing the same thing week after week it's actually the best tactic because while you're not massively slaughtering teams by three or four goals you're not you're not dropping any points you're not winning one week and losing or drawing the next and ultimately that's the consistency and the extra kind of drive at the end of the season that will allow you to pick up points when everybody else is dropping them around you yeah yeah um yeah, so for me,
0: I like honestly, like I said leading into this, this is one of the more challenging questions really on the pod. Usually, like you ask a question, you're like, oh, well, this is this is immediately how I feel about this. But everybody, and I guess this is just natural, has their own separate strengths. I'd agree that Mourinho probably ticks the most boxes and kind of therefore deserves to win. But I agree, I agree that Gary Monk doesn't get the respect he gets. Um, I've heard that he's getting the respect in England, but not here. Sean Dyche. That that what he's done with with that group of players because no offense Jim but like you you brought in some players to really help you going forward and they're yeah, largely
1: yeah. I'm pretty sure we've spent more than Burnley's entire budget transfer wise for the yeah. season on yeah. two players I think yeah. our entire budget for Cramerich and for and yeah. um, which kind of roughly in the region of eight to to nine million pounds each is is more than Burnley have spent yeah. On their team as a whole, yeah. So the fact that up until about right now they had a chance of staying up, I think,
0: is an achievement that shouldn't be overlooked. Um, as far as tactics, I already, I already did my bit on Wenger, and, and I'm prepared for all, all the Arsenal hate mail. Let's just bring it on. Know that you're writing to a Tottenham fan, so <laughs> that might be kind of shouting into a void. But um, I, I think that there are some some similarities. At times between Mourinho and Pulis. Now, Mourinho can turn it on going forward, as you mentioned, Rasmus, but both of them are very good at locking it up at the back. And and, and Jim, we've talked before about how surprised even you were uh, about the turnaround that you had uh, at West Brom. Um, and, And so I think, you know, for what he does, Pulis is tremendous, but, you know, like leading into this, I talked about all the different things, and Pulis has a horrible track record in the transfer market. Just, just really bad. As, as a, a fan of a team that sold them both Wilson Palacios, uh, well, I guess Crouch has actually worked out for them pretty well. We, I think we sold them Wilson Palacios for like $8 million. That That's just, that's kind of inexcusable. Um, as far as man management goes, I mentioned Dice And Tim Sherwood is a great man manager. It's why everybody kept comparing him to Harry. Is there much else there? You know, time will tell. Um as far as the press goes it's easily Mourinho. although i will say I, I do love Pochettino's um big pellegrini approach to uh to the media where if he likes the question he speaks perfect english and if he doesn't like the question he's like i I'm, i don't know he's <laughs> like that it, it's like tactical english speaking it's it's pretty impressive um or, like, he'll, he'll lean over to the translator, or he'll give, like, a really vague answer, like, we tried really hard today. Um, so, I, I do like how he, he kind of manip- manipulates that a little in his favor. Louis Van Hall seems to just be kind of crazy, <laughs> more more than uh, precise in how he deals with the press. Um, as Jay mentioned, uh, Kuman did so well with transfers. So well of, of getting young, talented players in. Well, young is overrated a bit, um but, like, bringing in Pella, who I think is 28 or 29 already, but bringing him in, Tadich, who hasn't really seen the pitch in a while, Um, but he was incredible in the first half of the season. I know he only really mattered for the first three weeks he was in the league, but bringing in Eljero Elia to get a few things, like, Elia was supposed to be so good five years ago and just forgot to do it. Um, just because of his pace, he, he he never let go of the fact that he needed to develop. Um, Philippe Juricic, I thought was a really good, good cheap signing. I think that might be alone though. Um, signing Bertrand, who, who made team of the year, which I thought was perhaps a little generous, but definitely deserved to be in that conversation at left back. How do you, how did you feel about that actually, Rasmus?
3: Um, you know, I really like Bertrand, uh, especially after, you know, his Champions League debut where he also won the trophy. (laughs) Um, but you know, it's, it's fair enough. That he went and and he went to a good team where he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna feature a lot and it's it's probably his level more than, than than it was at Chelsea. I mean he's a he's a really good player, but I think it was it was probably wise of him to to leave. But absolutely no hard feelings.
0: Yeah, I I think it's one of the reasons why I kind of chuckle at all of the Danny Rose to Chelsea and City rumors. So I'm like Chelsea had that.
3: <laughs> yeah, we've got Cresswell licked heavily as well. Yeah,
0: you like, strange. we had one of those and let him go like five months ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're fine. Um, fair enough. But anyway, those those are the managers I put up there. It probably is Mourinho, but I, I, I thought it would be interesting to kind of delve into kind of more of the specifics or, around management. All right, and now we are on to Player Watch, where instead of the players that impressed and disappointed, as it's been a while since our most recent fixtures, we're going to be asking, who was your best and worst signing of this season? And we'll start off with Jim and Leicester.
1: In terms of our worst signing, um, there was a couple of candidates for us. To be honest, we've not done that badly in the transfer market. I think the players that we've brought in generally have been quite good. Um, Through no fault of his own, I think Matt Upson has got to be up there for worst signing of the season. Mostly because I almost forgot he played for us because he's played that little since he came in and he was in the championship team of the year last year when he was playing for brighton and we picked him up because we were, we we felt we were short at center back um for cover particularly in that experienced um bracket where we've got some players who haven't played premier league before notably west morgan um, Liam Moore as well, and Martin Vasilevsky as much as he's got, you know, Champions League experience of Anderlecht and kind of a, a much higher level. He hasn't played in the Premier League before, so to pick up a player like Matt Upson who has in in the past um, was was supposed to be a good idea. I think he's probably played about two and a half games for us um, out of the possible thirty eight, which shows you all we need to know about his injury record um so yeah i think he would be up there otherwise mark schwarzer was hasn't been brilliant since we brought him in casper schmeichel was injured um for a large part of the kind of second third if you like of the campaign and we felt we needed a more experienced keeper because ben hamer wasn't up to it um at which point we brought in mark schwarzer which i thought was actually quite shrewd because he's obviously surplus to requirements at chelsea has a lot of big game experience has played it for, for a lot of years you know in in the premier league um and he dropped some horrible horrible clangers in the in mm. the half a dozen games that he was in goal for us um there was was it one at Tottenham where he basically threw the ball in the yeah. back of the net yeah. um uh, he, he also palmed the ball down to Theo Walcott from about four yards out at Arsenal when I was um in the away end which I was particularly annoyed about um but yeah, so I think those two would probably be battling it out for worst signing of the season. Um best signing of the season for me was easy. And I've talked about him before. I think he's brilliant. Um, Esteban Cambiaso, no doubt about it. For a free transfer, the guy is still by far and away our best player. He's just on another level. And and I think he's he's shown that in the last few weeks as well. Like his his ability to influence a game from midfield is just absolutely brilliant it, it's he can control the tempo of a game and everyone just feeds it off of him he's not just kind of the passer and the person that sprays the ball around it's the way that he kind of organizes and motivates as well that's a huge factor in a midfield where as i say a lot of our squad haven't played premier league football before so to have someone like him kind of in the center of the park as a common influence even when you're you know one 0 up um Uh, I saw it uh, against Newcastle on on Saturday. As soon as we scored in the first minute, he was going round to all the players, you know, tapping his temple, saying, concentrate, switch on, don't let them go back up the other end of the pitch. I know that's basics, but when you're getting, you know, 1-0 leads when you've not won a game for many, many months, as it seemed like we were at the start of this run, um, that can't be understated. So for his kind of influence in general, Ability to uh, to run a game, I think Cambiasso has to be signing the season from my point of view. Joe would have to be close, actually, because he has scored goals um, when people had doubts about his ability to score in the top level. But for me, Esteban has to uh, pick him to the post.
0: Yeah, Jay, we, we often comment on how good pallets have been in the, the transfer market recently, but who, who's impressed and disappointed you the most?
2: Yeah, well, I'll say similar to Jim and that I think we've done pretty well. Um... You know, this season, uh, obviously, since January transfer window last year, we did particularly well. Um, this year, I—I I mean, it's—it's it's difficult to pick somebody who's been our worst signing. Um, we, we've had a few signings. We've had our uh, Martin Kelly has been a, a you know, shrewd addition from Liverpool. It, it's a shame that he hasn't particularly had a, a run of games in in a true position that he's used to, which is right back. I, I actually see him more as a. Uh, coming into a centre-back role um, once Delaney um, perhaps maybe steps down from his um, starting place maybe as soon as next season. Um, but he's done, you know, he's done a shift when he's been asked to. He's not been a, you know, um, he's had a run of games here and there, but not uh, not consistently. But um, he's impressed me in different games, but other games he's, um, you know, being played out of position, I think sometimes it contributes to a player perhaps not playing to their best, but he's certainly not our, you know, worst sign. I think he's been a good addition to the squad. He's a reliable player. Um, as well as him, we've had another left back, Pap Soire, uh Senegalese left back, who I think he's had a bit of trouble settling. Um, you know, he's come from Lille. That was the only club he's ever played for. He's an you know, a Senegalese international. He played at the African Nations Cup, but he's shown enough um you know to 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 suggest that he he is going to be a decent signing in the in the longer term you know it's it's quite a, it, it's you know it's quite a big thing to move to premier league club um in a, you know particularly from another country um and, and i think he he can um he's shown enough particularly attacking wise i mean i think there's one game I, I think it was West Brom um or it might have been Hull I can't remember which one he came on against but he's um he, he's crossing from a from the byline you know, getting forward and crossing I think he, he sent in four or five um you know really deep crosses and and that was a real uh a real bonus to see a full back doing that for us um which we've actually struggled with in the in a left back position and um, for me I think the worst signing we've made is a loan signing in uh, Yaya Sanogo um I don't know what it is about him. I've seen him play one good game, which was the FA Cup win down at Southampton. Um, we we knocked him out the FA Cup and we won three two, and he scored. That's the only game um, I've I've seen him play well in. He's come on um, in different games, but he's not he's not really come on and affected games. And he's had a he's had a couple of injuries um, since he joined the club, but. He's not really contributed an awful lot, and I'm—I'm I'm not, as you guys know on the podcast, I'm not a critical guy at all. I like to see players do well for the club that you know they come and play for, even if they are on loan. You know, they obviously have something to prove, and you know, a lot—a lot of fans are saying, you know, why are we signing this player? You know, I looked at pre-season. I mean, I think he scored three or four goals in pre-season against Benfica. Um, mm. I know that's pre-season and it's a friendly, but you know, Benfica are no mugs. Um, I, I just thought that he could could perhaps add something, but he really—it really really has not You know, he's a big lad. But he doesn't use his his uh, his height to to perhaps the, you know he, you know to aid the team or to to really aid himself. He does chase and hassle. I mean, he did particularly well against Southampton, as I said. But he hasn't really given us an awful lot. You know, hasn't really given us a, an extra dimension, which is why we've seen the return of Glenn Murray do so well because he just adds uh, you know something different to the side, which perhaps we didn't have in the first half of the season. As for signing of a season. For me, if it's a player, it would probably have to be um, re-signing Will Sahar back from uh, from United. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, start, he's really starting to show the form that we, you know, we knew and loved in our promotion season. Um, yeah, you know, he was instrumental in in us being promoted that season from the Championship. Uh, we we certainly weren't a one-man team, but you know, a lot of his play contributed to you know several points or winning positions for the club. Uh, and obviously, he was instrumental in the playoff final to to win that penalty to. Um, yeah, you know, for us to actually go up into the Premier League, so it's great to see you know him come back and to a place where he knows you know he, he's he's loved in a way and he's kind of embraced that um, after his nightmare spell at Manchester United. But for me, I'm going to throw our wild card in and say our best signing um, of of the season has to be Alan Pardew. Um Obviously not mm-hmm. a player, um, but I think you know we've gone out and got a manager that's that's not normally our style. We normally Appoint managers who are already out of a job. We already, normally look at managers who don't have a club. We, we rarely go and get a manager and pay compensation for them to take them away from the club. But we went out and got Pardew. Uh, and I think that was hugely impressive and a sign of intent from the owners um, to, to go and do that. And he's actually, you know, he's come in and done the job that we all hoped that he would do. Um, so for me, it has to be Alan Pardew.
0: Yeah, and Rasmus it must be must be tough to kind of pick a, a disappointing player in a title-winning side, but give it your all.
3: Um, yeah, well, I don't really think it's fair. I'll start with um, worst signing, um, where I don't really think it's it it's fair um, to say that anyone has been really bad, but probably Quadrado, who was signed in in January, he's been the least effective. Like every time he's been on the pitch, yeah. he's he's not looked he's not looked impressive. Um, but he's only been here for such a short time that it's it's kind of unfair to, to label him a terrible signing Why at this point. Why
0: do you point. think
3: that is? By the way, uh, I don't know. He looks he looks really nervous. So maybe he just needs a preseason with Mourinho. You know, get into the, like basically the rhythm that that's required. But he he just seems to panic whenever he gets on the ball. Sort of the same that Salah did. Um, also, it was obviously, Mayloff, during, who was a yeah, in
0: Serie A, and came over and didn't know what to do.
3: It's these, you know, highly, you know, skilled players. Um and they it's 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 once they get to to this level and, and it's it's a very physical league, obviously as well. I think I think it must it must be a lot of pressure on them and it must be it must be difficult. Um you can certainly tell that Quadrado, he he's not he's not comfortable on the ball right now. But you know, um I'll I'll give him time. Uh he really he really hasn't had a proper chance yet, so we'll see what happens next season. But he's he's been the worst because the rest have been pretty excellent um luis didn't get a lot of playing time i think you know that seven premier league starts but that's simply because branislav ivanovic and cesar aspilicueta uh they've been so good um they've been you know perhaps well they've been two of the very best uh pullbacks in the league uh and uh it's it's simply been too too tough too tough a competition him even though he's he's done he's done well whenever he's been on he's just not done as well as as the two others so that's a shame for him and i i think he might he might leave in summer because of that but uh he's certainly not been bad um fabregas has been has been very very good in the first half of the season slightly less good in the second half of the season but you have to say that overall he's he's done very well um probably diego costa is has been the best signing uh he's got 19, 19 goals in the premier league he's had uh, suspensions he's had injuries could have had a lot more uh, goals and whenever he's on the pitch he's he's the sort of striker where you sort of expect him to score which has been a while since we've had that so definitely um an area that we we needed someone like him to come in and and, and improve us in and he's done exactly that and it's it's really great to have him on the side so i would say he was he was the best signing uh Drogba and Remy, the two other strikers, they've done they've done pretty well. is obviously 37 years old and and you can tell. Um, but he 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 gives it everything he's got and uh and he's scored some important goals for us, so we really can't complain. How unfortunate
0: uh, for Remy that right when it looked like he'd have a spell in the first team he got injured. Yeah, he's been extremely
3: unfortunate this season. Uh basically he's he's, he's earned his chance uh time and time again and then he's always been hindered in taking it through injury which is obviously uh terrible for him and we've all been incredibly um yeah we've all felt very very sorry for him because he's he's done really well whenever he's been on pitch and scored some some very important goals for us um so yeah definitely got it for him and i i do actually hope that he stays next season and that he gets a a good run in the side obviously costas he's gonna he's gonna be difficult to uh to compete with for uh, for Remy but um he's a brilliant backup striker to have when he's when he's fit another signing i know we didn't actually sign him this season but he's only featured this season and i really want to give a shout out to him is kurt zuma who's just oh, been yeah brilliant i mean he's he's so young and he he he's so good already he's so mature on the ball and in his decision making and uh, it's it's been terrific to see uh, to see him play and he he adapted to um, that defensive midfield role when he needed to, and he did it, you know, immediately. He was very very good against you in in uh, in the cup final, for example, which I think was the first time where he played there. Oh, was that against? And, uh, yeah, I think. That, uh, and Hunt, yeah, well, yeah, yes, we won. Um, <laughs> but he's been really good, and it's great to see uh, to see us have such a, a solid young centre back. Um, definitely the envy of, of a lot of other Premier League clubs who, who seem to struggle to find a a decent uh centre back. Um I know that Manchester City could definitely do with one, probably Manchester United as well. And and maybe even you could argue that Arsenal they wouldn't mind having him in, in their squad either. So um yeah, definitely uh I, I would, Diego Costa has probably been the best, but <laughs> I might, I, this might be totally wrong, but I'm tempted to put Zuma over Fabregas this season because <laughs> I really like him.
0: <laughs> He's definitely a good player. Um, For me, I'm, I'm going to start off with the, the best signing we had, which is kind of along those lines, which is Eric Dyer, where both of them play a position that, that's very heavily focused on experience, like picking up kind of the tools of the trade throughout the years. And for both of them to come in and have such immediate impact is very impressive to me. Um, he, Dyer was supposed to be one for the future. You know, we brought in a, a 20-year-old player. And, and you're always told that you need you need to bet in players from other leagues for, for a year. And he came in uh, from, from sporting, I believe, and has just hit the ground running. He was supposed to be one for the future and beat Fazio just outright for that center back job. He can play multiple positions. He's already... Like displayed that he has good positioning at both right-back and center-back because he's had to deputize at right-back for a while. Um, he has both the mobility to either be more of a ball-playing center-back and he has the size to just be a freaking wall. Um, it, he, he can put in decent crosses when he's playing on, on right-back and he gets himself up the pitch. Uh, I do feel a little bad for him. He had two goals in the first two weeks. None, nonsense. It's a little disappointing that he didn't keep that goal right up. I was really looking forward to a 38 goal season from him, uh, but but alas, it wasn't meant to be. Um, but but like I said, it, it being a center back, you know, especially in an era where players do kind of go down softly, you kind of have to learn, you know, where where to position yourself on those to, to avoid those situations. And the fact that he's already uh, as good as he is really is a bit scary to to think about how good he could become in a team that has a lot of young players with Bentaleb and mason <laughs> and Kane, and like it's definitely an exciting time going forward especially now that danny rose randomly decided that he's going to be a terrific left back that was definitely uh, a nice development as for a player that disappointed it's benjamin stambouli and and it's really really <laughs> disappointing stambouli was basically your traditional levy oh my manager wants this player how about a worse version of that player and everything will be good Um, we did it with Matinho down to Clint Dempsey. That was a fun one. Um, we fell short on Schneiderlin's, so we brought in Stambouli. We were like, it's the same thing. French, holding midfielder, can pass the ball, pretty decent on the ball as well. It'll be great. And then it wasn't great. Despite the fact that he has those abilities, he tends to just drift in and out of matches. He never had, like, that match that cements himself in. Like, uh, he he came on as a sub about a month ago. And uh, the friend I was watching it with was like, I genuinely forgot that he was a Tottenham player at all. And that's literally the the impact that he's had, that people just forget. He very early in the season got put on Europa League duty. Early in the season, we kind of had split squads going on. Other than Ericsson, as we've mentioned, who had to play pretty much every match for the first four months of the season. But once we got knocked out of Europa League, which was February 26th, he's appeared once. And he came on as an 87th minute sub on March 7th. He, he's been so far from the squad. It's been ridiculous. And we've stuck with Mason and Bentaleb as a pairing. Paulinho couldn't get in. Dembele can't get in because he's an idiot. Rasmus, we've talked about this on international break. He was like, why am I not starting? And he was like, well, you were. And now you never will again. Um, which goes back to that uh, ideological difference I was talking about earlier. Uh Stambouli can't get in there. Kapu can't get in there. The fact that Mason and Bentaleb, much as I love them, are holding off those four players is absurd. And Stambouli is inarguably the most disappointing out of all of them. Because we got him in. We got shown the highlight reels. Which, by the way, are really hard to do for holding midfielders. Um, and we were like, you know what? This, this, this is just as good as Schneiderlin. And yeah, no, it wasn't at all. He's really not that great at football. Uh, and I hope he develops, but I don't see it at all. And and some people are worried. They think this was the first Pochettino signing, but I think this was already lined up. And Scott was mentioning him a lot over the summer, that Swansea were linked with him. And I think that would have been probably a, a closer level, um, despite how close Swansea are to us on the table. I, I think that club would have been more his size. But um, anyway, very very disappointing player, and just really grateful we didn't spend much on him because he's. <laughs> this is harsh, but practically been useless this season. So, anyway, We're going to go from that to match previews, um, where we are completely out of time, so we're just going to go win, draw, or loss. Stoke versus Tottenham, win. Leicester versus Southampton? Got to be a win. Crystal Palace versus United? i want to go for a draw. And Chelsea versus Liverpool?
3: Definite Chelsea win.
0: <laughs> all right, there you go. Put all your money on that. And then thank us if you're right and don't blame us if you're wrong. <laughs> but we are out of time, as I said. So if you have any
1: projects you'd like to plug or if you'd like to tell people where to reach you, now be a good time. Thanks for listening, guys. I've been Jim. Um, you can find me at JimNight88 on Twitter. I also do a lot of betting writing for various sites, including Goal.com is my main one. So if you want to find my betting ramblings on there, you can do. Um, other than that, my Twitter page, yeah, JimNight88 is the best place to find me.
2: Oh, yeah, thanks for listening. I'm Jay, I'm editor of the Eaglesbeak.com, a Palace fan site. We're not just about Palace, we talk about general football as well. You can catch us on Twitter at the Eagles um, I'm actually planning a, chari- planning a charity game this weekend, um, it's in aid of uh, a cancer charity. So um, just give us uh, send us a tweet if you want to know where it is. If not, then uh, we can send you a link if you fancy uh, uh, donating to the, to the fantastic cause as well. So it's all in the uh, all night of a fantastic course. So, um, again, contact us on Twitter if you want to find out more details. Um, we're on Twitter at the Eagles Big.
3: Yeah, guys, thanks for listening. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Chelsea Rumors, where obviously I'll be tweeting about Chelsea rumors. Thanks so much for listening.
0: That's how you came up with that. Nice. Um, I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. Uh, you can find my musings. Uh, on the eaglesweek.com where I, I tend to write bi-weekly when i'm not moving states um uh, i do fantasy rankings over at playtaga.com and we tend to not internally promote but um if you if you're interested in women's football at all we had a very good women's special uh this past sunday so if you're looking at this on iTunes it'll be the one right below this one um definitely worth a listen we had we had on a, a guy named Kieran that just knows just about everything about women's football and, and was an absolute pleasure to work with. So uh, please give that a listen if you would. Uh, if you'd like to contact me personally, I'm on Twitter at Kevroff. If you'd like to tell us how much you hate Rasmus for digging at your club all podcast today, <laughs> you so can sorry. do so by either tweeting him at Chelsea Rumors or us at EPL Roundtable, or you can email us at EPL Roundtable at gmail.com. All right, thanks so much for joining us, guys. It's been a pleasure as always. We hope you keep listening.